Well, now let us come to God's word once again. This has been an exciting series through the book of Acts, and Pastor Moody is going to pick it up for us in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. But I'm going to start reading from Acts 4, verse 18, to give us some context. You'll remember that the rulers of the Jews had gathered together in Jerusalem, and they are speaking now to Peter and John. This is the word of the Lord, Acts 4, starting in verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punishment, punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. This is God's word. This morning, I want to uh, speak to you about the power of of a praying people, the power of a praying people. Now you and we all are aware of the situation in which uh, we are living these days and that is uh, causing us uh, many different challenges and uh, difficulties and uh, there are many different Solutions being offered, help that's being offered. Attempts are being made to come up with scenarios that will mitigate the worst of this situation. And the sense we all get is that our world leaders, our medical professionals, our scientists are coming to a point where they're doing their level best and we need to pray for them. And these are trying times for our leaders But they're coming to a situation and a state where we're searching for for answers. 
were searching for help. And you know, in times past, whenever uh, God's people have been in a time like this, there's been one common, preponderant, constant remedy that has been sought. And that remedy certainly is taking place today. But in my observation, I don't know whether you will agree with me, but in my observation, that remedy is less at the forefront than you might expect. I'm talking about the power of a praying people. Uh, We as a world have been in uh, times past when there have been plagues and uh, diseases. Uh, This is not the first time that our world has faced a pandemic. Back in 1918, there was the famous flu pandemic. And then in the Middle Ages and the 17th century, there are various plagues. And you can read, as I've been doing, the Christian response at those times. And right at the heart of it was the power of a praying people. And my goal this morning is to call us all to prayer. For there is power in a united, humble, fervent, passionate, faith-filled, pure, praying people. And that's what this passage is here to teach us. John Calvin, long ago, who himself would have lived through uh, diseases and epidemics, he writes about this passage that it is here to teach us one thing, that when our enemies threaten us, when we feel fear or disillusionment or disappointment, we are to crave the help of God. And it's my desire that this passage, which is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, it's one of the best passages to turn to when we're thinking about prayer. It's my desire that this passage, which I think is perhaps one of, if not the most important passages we're going to turn to, certainly in this season, will motivate us towards the power of a praying people. We're talking about Acts chapter 4, verses uh, 23 to 31. And as we go through it, uh, there are um, uh, three simple uh, structures to uh, that passage. Uh, First of all, we're going to look at what they said, they being the enemies. And we read out earlier how they had threatened God's people. And we'll look at what they said. And you may feel similarly under pressure and challenge, whether it's isolation or So we'll think about what they said. Then we'll turn to what God said, which is really the heart of the message. And then because of that, we'll look at what we then say. So what they said, what God said, and then what we then say, what we say. So first of all, uh, what they say, what the uh, enemies of God uh, said. 
And you remember the story that the Sanhedrin, the ruling authorities at the time, had uh, threatened uh, the disciples and they told them to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And uh, the uh, early disciples then go back to their own, they go back to their friends and they report what they said. And basically, in summary, what they had said is stop speaking about Jesus or else. They threatened them. Now, there are many places around the world where there is that kind of persecution. Uh, but there are many other places where we don't face it to the same extent. But in another way, right now, my guess is many of us are feeling that kind of pressure. And behind all pressure against faith, against faith in Jesus, there's a spiritual pressure that can uh, come out in uh, human opposition or uh, the, uh, the opposition we feel in our own minds and hearts, a spiritual pressure, a spiritual opposition. Uh, John Stott, uh, in his uh, writings on the book of Acts, uh, described how the book of Acts is really paralleled with the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, the, the curtain is, is drawn back and you see the spiritual opposition, that the, the human opposition in Acts is a human uh, representation of that spiritual opposition. And perhaps you're feeling pressure to stop speaking about Jesus. If, if our enemy, the devil, cannot stop us believing in Jesus, he'll, he'll work hard to stop us speaking about Jesus. Perhaps you feel there's... Not much you can do. Uh, perhaps you feel helpless. Uh, perhaps you feel isolated. And this is partly why we did that uh, Christ and COVID-19 question and answer on Thursday night, a, a live stream Thursday night. You can find it again online and look at the, the sort of practical answers we, we tried to give to the situation that many of us are facing. Perhaps you just feel bored and you're tempted not to make the most of this time. And there's this constant spiritual pressure against God's people today to stop speaking about Jesus. Uh, was a, uh, just recently, a prominent national newspaper wrote an article describing how, in its view, the uh, inadequacy of some of the response to the virus, that behind that is a, a Christian lack of commitment to science. What, what, a mis, what a piece of misinformation. Christians have always been committed to science. Great scientists have been Christians in the past and today. And I, and I know many of us do have personal friends who are in ICU units right now who are doctors and nurses who are committed to Christ and are fighting the fight against this virus. That's just one example of an opposition to the cause of Christ today. Stop speaking about Jesus or else. That's what they were, they were saying. And that's what many of us feel today. So what do they do about that? What they did is they gathered together and they looked at what God said. What God said. And this, as I said, is really the, the heart of this message this morning and it's a, it's a beautiful biblical logic that they then apply. And I want to commend it to you with every bone of my being, with every 
part of my heart that you would understand this, this biblical logic and then be able to apply it. I love this passage. I love the, the way it calls us to confident prayer, the power of a praying people. There's a biblical logic about what God said that they then apply. And what is that biblical logic? Well, they go back to Psalm 2. They're, they're quoting from uh, a psalm, Psalm 2. And in this psalm, uh, the, uh, the psalm talks about how absurd it is that the enemies of God's people try to stand up against the Lord and his anointed. Now, originally, that was talking about uh, King David, the king of Israel. And how ridiculous it was that the enemies of God's people would take their stand against the Lord God and his anointed. Indeed, the psalm goes on to describe how actually God laughs at this idea. And sometimes we wonder whether God has a sense of humor. Well, here's one place in the Bible where God laughs. He laughs at the absurdity of any opposition that could succeed against the Lord and his anointed. It's a bit like, I don't know whether you've ever seen a father with a, a young child, and uh, the young child perhaps is having a bit of a tantrum and doesn't want to leave the store or doesn't want to leave the playground or doesn't want to go to bed and is refusing to do what the father wants and the young child's fists begin to flail and the father just lovingly picks up the child takes the child to where he needs to go. In a similar sort of way, the, the idea, the absurdity, that, that, that anything, any human opposition, any physical opposition, any virus, anything, could stand against the Lord and his anointed. So they look back to that Psalm 2 that describes that, and then they remember that the word anointed is the same as our word Christ. And they remember how, indeed, in the recent past for them, the opposition, behind all human opposition, there's a spiritual opposition, the opposition to God and his people and his plan had taken a stand against the Lord and his anointed, against Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed. And indeed, he had been crucified. God's way is not to avoid suffering, God is not glorified in spite of suffering. God is glorified through the cross, through suffering. And yes, the anointed one had been crucified, but he'd been raised again. And the opposition had failed. And they remembered that. And then in their situation right there, as they're talking about Jesus, preaching Jesus, Continuing to speak about Jesus, despite what they, the enemies of, of God, are saying to them, stop speaking about Jesus or else. As they are continuing to do that, they then apply this biblical logic. If it is absurd that the sovereignty of God could be derailed by anything whatsoever... 
And if God's word specifically applies that sovereignty of God, so not just the general doctrine of God's sovereignty, but here's a particular application of it. If it is also then absurd that in this particular way that the Lord and his anointed, first David and now Christ, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, that anything could stand against that, And if it is true that they themselves had seen that indeed through the opposition, through the suffering, through the crucifixion, Christ had been raised. If that's all true, they then apply it to their situation. Well, therefore, nothing. Here's the biblical logic. Nothing can successfully oppose Jesus and his Christ And if, therefore, we are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, no opposition against that can succeed. Now they feel bold. Now they're ready to pray because they've applied the biblical logic of Psalm 2 to Jesus and his Christ and now to their situation. Of course, we need to apply it to our situation, too. If we're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, nothing, no opposition, no virus... No human opposition can succeed against that gospel of Jesus. Now you say, well, hold on. Uh, Didn't some of those early disciples suffer and die? And of course they did. But they were raised again. And the gospel they they proclaimed successfully, effectively, powerfully, the power of a praying people, powerfully, boldly went forward. That's, that's a win. And similarly today, perhaps you are facing real suffering. I'm beginning to hear stories of loved ones who are sick. Perhaps you know of people who have COVID-19. And perhaps you're just feeling isolated and lonely or bored. God is glorified. Not in spite of the suffering of the Lord and his Christ, but through the cross of Jesus to his resurrection. And the suffering that we are going through now as God's people should not then cause us to stop speaking about Jesus. Should not then cause us to wonder what God is up to. Should not then cause us to doubt whether his gospel is really all-powerful. But taking that biblical logic and applying it, the very laughter that that anything could derail the sovereign plan of God to exalt the Lord and his Christ. Nothing could. Absolutely nothing. And therefore, what we say. So what they say, the enemies of God, stop speaking about Jesus or else. What God says, this biblical logic that nothing can derail the sovereign plan of God. And in particular, there's a particular promise that the Lord and his Christ, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, could not, cannot be derailed. And therefore, what they say, what God said, therefore what we, what we say. And so then in 
applying this biblical logic and reflecting on what, what the opposition has said and the feeling in their minds and what they had heard from, from the chief priests and the, the, the Sanhedrin and the opposition that we feel from internally and externally and the difficulties we're in, but then applying the biblical logic of what God said to our situation, then we turn to, okay, what is our response? What should we say? And they say something to each other, something to God, and then something to the world. And to each other, they speak the truth. Do you notice that? Uh, when the, uh, the apostles come back to uh, their friends, they didn't pretend it was an easy thing. Oh, don't worry, I'm fine. You know, nothing really happened, we're fine. No, they, they didn't say that. Uh, they didn't say, you know, we've got it covered. Uh, the rest, rest of you, the church, you don't need to worry about it, we're fine. They didn't say that. They told them what the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law had said to them. They told them. And when you're going through a difficult time, when you're struggling, when you're isolated or bored, when you need help, let me encourage you to speak that to each other. Not in a way that's complaining. Don't complain. Don't grumble. But in a way that has authenticity, has reality to it. Pick up the phone and say to someone, look, I just need to talk to someone right now. Pick up the phone to a friend and say, look, can we just pray together right now? Text someone and say, look, do you have a scripture passage that, that could apply to me right now? Speak the truth to each other. Get on the Facebook stream and, and say, I, I, I'm here and I'm trusting Jesus. Let's speak the truth to each other. But then they said something to God. Of course, this is the power of a praying people. But you notice what they did and didn't say to God? What they did not say was, protect us. Now, there's plenty of biblical uh, mandate for asking for God's protection. Psalm 46, Psalm 91, Psalm 121. There's plenty of biblical mandate to pray for healing from suffering and disease. Hezekiah, the, the king, prayed that with, with tears that God would heal him. And God said, I've heard your, your tears and your prayers and I, I will heal you. God does answer those kind of prayers for healing. Not, not always in this world, but always for eternity. Yes, there's plenty of biblical mandate to pray for protection. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. But in this instance, it's remarkable what they do not pray. They do not pray for protection. They do not pray for safety. What they pray for is not protection, but for the proclamation of the gospel. What they pray for is not for their own personal safety, but that the message of salvation will go forward with boldness. Signs and wonders, boldness to proclaim the gospel. That's what they pray for. And God, in supernatural witness to the power of a praying people, united, passionate, fervent, faith-filled, pure, committed, the power of a praying people. God, in supernatural witness to his 
presence physically shakes the building. And they are sent out to speak the word with boldness. So they say something to each other. They, say, they speak to God, the power of a praying people. And then because of that, they speak to the world. They go out and proclaim the gospel. The message of salvation. Look, you may be uh, watching from Brazil or Africa or Europe or Wheaton. Well, at this moment, I have a message for you. You, through faith, through commitment, committing your life to Jesus, have the opportunity right now to align your life with something that cannot fail. The sovereignty of God, the Lord and his Christ. It cannot fail. He says, uh, verse 28, this is what it, they did. Whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place, it cannot fail. Don't you want to be a part of that? I remember when I was... Um, uh, when, when I wasn't preaching to a building that had, uh, was basically empty and preaching only to a camera, I remember then there were many, many hundreds, thousand people here, and I remember a particular young man, a teenager, sitting up, and I, could see, I can see where he used to sit listening to me preach, and I could tell when I looked in his eyes that he was with, with me in body but not with me in spirit. And I remember week by week as he was there and then he gradually got it and he's now serving Jesus in ministry and he's aligned his life with something that cannot fail. Don't you want that? Don't you want your life to count for something? Even in the midst of all these difficulties, don't you want it to be the case that if you do get COVID-19 and you're on your sickbed, that that moment of suffering and witness is going to count for all eternity. Right now, the way we go through this time, this situation, wow, is there an opportunity? Don't you want to be a part of that? And you can be. If you align your life, you commit your life to the Lord and his Christ, instead of opposing that, How absurd to oppose the almighty God and his specific particular plan to exalt the Lord and his Christ. Align with Jesus. And so here we are talking about the power of a praying people. We thought about what they say, the opponents of God, the opposition says, stop speaking about Jesus or or, or else. And we, we thought about how that threat, that Opposition that we feel today in a different way through isolation, through voices and, uh, that, that seem to tell us that it's, it's all going wrong or we can't, we can't do anything about, we don't have anything to say right now. We, we thought about that reality, but then we thought about what God said, the almighty power of God, that this is part of his sovereign plan and that his sovereign plan specifically is to exalt the Lord and his Christ. And if we align our life with that, if we align our life with the proclamation of the gospel, then we are part of something that cannot fail, cannot fail. 
And we've called each other to align our lives to that as we speak the truth to each other, as we crave the help of God, we speak the truth to God, and we speak this gospel with boldness to the world. I want to close then with a specific application. And the specific application is this. I am calling us, wherever you're listening, to unite tonight at 6 p.m. Chicago time in prayer. We're not going to do it in a centralized way with a sort of centralized live stream. You can connect with your small group or adult community if you like to pray. That's fine. But at the same time, 6 p.m. Chicago time tonight, I am calling us all to set aside whatever else we're doing, to put down the book you're reading, to stop the movie you're watching, to turn off the news and pray to crave the help of God. And right after this um, broadcast has, has finished, on our webpage and uh, on uh, Facebook, uh, on the COVID-19 uh, part of our webpage, there's going to be a PDF, a thing you can download that will help you, uh, guide you through what to pray. And there's some bullet points there. But I also have a specific prayer See, they united in prayer, and we don't know exactly how they all prayed this same prayer that we read out earlier. It may have been the work of the, of the Spirit to supernaturally cause them to pray all the same thing. That's what some people suggest. It may be that this is a summary of the essence of what they're praying, or it may well be that this is a prayer that they agreed upon, that someone voiced, and they all gave their collective amen to it. Now, you don't have to pray the prayer that... I'm going to read out in just a moment to close this sermon. You can pray as the Spirit leads, using your own words. But here's a specific prayer, and it's going to be also on that webpage at the bottom of those uh, bullet points as well on our webpage, that you can, you can pray tonight. I'm calling us all to unite in prayer uh, this evening, Chicago time, at 6 p.m., around... Uh, the power of a praying people, because of the power of a praying people and around these uh, specific words. And I'm going to read them out now to us and uh, then I'm going to say amen and that'll be the close of the sermon. Here's the specific application to this, the power of a praying people. And I want us all to pray as God leads the essence of this, maybe even specifically the words I'll let you make up your own mind on that, and that's fine either way. But this is how I'm going to close the sermon this morning. And I want us tonight at 6 p.m. to unite in passionate, fervent, committed, faith-filled prayer. Here then is that prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and sovereign God, You made everything. You know everything. This virus is no surprise to you. 
Your word says that even the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And therefore, sovereign God, we come before you humbly and with faith to most earnestly request in the name of Jesus and through his atoning blood that in wrath you remember mercy. That you would turn this suffering to your glory and to the progress of your gospel. And that you would grant us spiritual power to proclaim your gospel with boldness throughout the world. Amen and amen.